0: If you were to look at chapter 2 i i i outline the first six verses of chapter 2 as follows you know in verse 1 we see christ our advocate christ is our advocate before the eternal judge god the father in verse 2 we see that christ is our answer and he is our answer specifically to the problem of sin and in verses 3 through six, and this is where I want to focus today, we see Christ is our anchor. Christ is the one who holds us, holds believers in him. And I'm so thankful for that because I know that I am a spiritual train wreck. And if I were left to my own devices, I would fail the Lord more than I would ever please the Lord. And I think that's true of each and every one of us. So today I want to focus on Christ as our anchor. And to do so, I want to look at one verse. We're going to look at one verse, and that is verse 3. The Word of God says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Once again, John has been doing what he has been doing from the start of this epistle. John does not mix words. I know in a lot of the Middle Ages, the painting of John the Apostle was always kind of effeminate. But James and John were the sons of Zebedee. They were the sons of thunder. And when Jesus was rejected in the Samaritan village, it was James and John who said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And I think you really see this in his epistle here of first john after sharing that we have an advocate in christ after sharing that christ is our answer to the problem of sin um he shows us that in the event that we sin we have a paracletos we have an advocate we have one who comes alongside and that's jesus christ and he does this particularly because john is defending the the gospel, he is defending the faith against Gnosticism. And Gnostics were the ones that were coming into the church, and they disregarded holy living. They believed that anything that contained matter, particularly human beings, were evil. Therefore, if you partake in evil, you're just following the natural order. They came in, and they began to distort the gospel. The Gnostics were saying, well, in order to To really follow God, you have to have this supernatural, this transcendent spiritual experience. So they had a dualistic type of philosophy. You know, what is flesh is bad, what is spirit is good. But of course, only a few of them had that super transcendent spiritual experience. So John is writing here the churches and ages to defend upon this. And, you know, the sad thing is we have some people in the church today uh, who profess Christ, but yet who subscribe to the same heresy. They say that they accepted Jesus, that they have the freedom to do things and live the way they want to live. And you'll find that these people will contend with things. You'll hear them say, the Bible doesn't say anything against this, and they'll, they'll exploit arguments of silence. And John is very specific here. He draws a distinction between what people think they believe and versus how they live. And to show you this, I want to call your attention to two words in this verse. And those words are know, K-N-O-W, and keep. Know and keep. The first word, no, is the Greek word, gnoskos, and it refers to um, knowledge through personal experience. It's, it's intimate knowledge. It's deep knowledge. It's firsthand. It's the same word used that when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her she was going to have a son, Mary replied, how can these things be? For I know not a man. And we know what she's talking about. She didn't have the intimate personal experience of having been with a man. So gnoskos, know, is to take in this knowledge. And when it's used spiritually, it is referring specifically to knowing intimate, knowing the intimate knowledge of God. And so if you take a look at John, he says, and by this we have come to know God. Him. He's very direct. He's very specific. He is referring to the knowledge of God. He is referring to the knowledge of the gospel. And what is the litmus test of that knowledge? How do we know that we know him? Well, John tells us if we keep his commandments. Now he uses a beautiful word in the Greek for the for the word keep. It is, the imagery is, it means to guard over. That's what it means. You guard over it. But it means to guard over it. It's used in a militaristic type of sense. So if you were a soldier and your commanding officer came by and said, guard that prisoner, you wouldn't put your gun down and you wouldn't go have a cup of coffee and you would not ignore ignore the prisoner, Right. You would be there to guard that prisoner. You would be diligent. You would be observing that prisoner. Notice what John is saying. By this we have come to know Christ. The proof of our intimacy, the proof of our personal experience in Christ is evident in guarding, watching over, being diligent, observing the commandments of God. And I love this because John is being consistent with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, all we have to do is go to John 14. And if you go to John 14, you'll read verses like verse 15, where our Lord Jesus Christ says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you look at John 14, 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus in John fourteen twenty-three. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him, and we will make our abode with him. John 14, 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is mine, is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, now why make a big deal about this? Because we are living in a day and age where there is overt attempts to transform the gospel. There are heresies that are entering the church. Some of them is all this time, like people who say, well, it doesn't matter how you live. The only thing that matters is if you've come to accept Christ. So When you're sharing the gospel and somebody says, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe that he did all these things. But the evidence of redemption, the evidence of salvation is in the manifest presence of the workings of the Spirit of God, and that is revealed in a heart of obedience. All throughout the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that obedience is tied to true faith and belief. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned as him. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. And we're not talking about the act of obedience, which is the right in and of our own religious works. That's not what we're talking about. Rather, we are talking about the obedience that is evidence because we are saved, because we are in Christ. James, in his epistle, in James 2.14, says this statement. And it's a great dialogue that usually gets misunderstood. But in James 2.14, he says, "What is what What use is it, my brethren? If a man says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him. And there are many that think that a mere profession of faith is all that saves. But the scriptures make clear that true profession will produce righteous works for God. In James 2.17, he goes on to say, even so faith, if it has no works, is a dead faith being by itself. And James even draws the distinction And says, you believe, you do well. Hey, the demons believe. And they tremble. Oh, church, if only the church would come back to that place. That the knowledge of God instills in us such a fear, such an awe, such a reverence. My spiritual mentor says to me, he says, you know what the difference between Christianity today and the demons are, and I asked him one time, I said, what is it? He says, the demons fear and tremble. He says, Christians today don't tremble any longer. In James 2.18, James says, but someone may say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Folks, there is a profound contrast between to know something and teeth. And that is what John is showing. If a person has come to the saving work of Jesus Christ, then that person will keep the commandments of the Lord and live out their faith in Christ. The believer is anchored in Christ. Believers hold to Christ. And because those who know Christ personally, experientially, intimately, God causes them to keep his commandments, and the gospel advances throughout the world for his glory. I got to see that experiential knowledge just this past week as I observed my elder and his wife as they're broken apart at the loss of their baby girl. But yet, despite their pain, despite their anguish, they are clinging to Christ. I love the great hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I shall not trust the sweeter frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. What do anchors do? They hold. They secure. Anchors do not allow drifting and slipping away. Anchors run so deep that when the storms of life come against us, we are held to Christ. Christ is our anchor. Christ secures the believer. Christ does not let go for our Lord told us, I will never forsake thee. I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Hence, our salvation in Christ, our new birth in Christ, we can have confidence that whatever comes against us, trial, illness, even death, our anchor will hold. It will hold because of Christ and because we've come to know personally experientially and intimately our anchor. I'll just close with this. I don't ever believe there has been a time, not in my lifetime, where the gospel has been more maligned and more marginalized in the church than today. Many are trying to redefine the gospel by adding all the cultural issues of today's insane world. You know what they are. You know, you could be a homosexual. You you know, you're a believer. You could be a transgender. You're a believer. You could, you know, social justice is the gospel. It's not the gospel. And many, many are working hard to redefine this. In this day and age of outright paganism, which we live, it is critical that we protect, and proclaim a true gospel. It is important that we recognize that Christ is our anchor and that he alone holds us in him, that he enables us to preserve, to honor him, and advance the gospel. The true gospel proclaims that if you've come to know Christ, the salvation in Jesus Christ, then the impact of that knowledge is not on your head only, But on your heart, Christ transforms. You are changed. And the evidence is the manifest presence and fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. Believers persevere because of our anchor Christ. He holds us. And we hold to that glorious doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Hebrews six nineteen says this, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. That great song on Christ the solid rock says this, when darkness tries to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Believers, let us hold to Christ. Let us cling to Christ for dear life. Let us advance the gospel and stand firm in these days of wickedness. May God bless his word.